Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is another day of reckoning, ladies and gentlemen, and this time it should be a day of better news than we've had all week. Chancellor Rishi Sunak will step up to the dispatch box today at midday to unveil yet another rescue package aimed at staving off mass redundancies and job losses as we head into the winter season. It's going to be different from the furlough scheme, apparently, which is due to come to an end next month, of course, and is instead based around a German-style subsidy scheme which will keep people employed part-time and is aimed at apparently are helping those who do lose their jobs find new ones. The big question is, of course, how successful will it be after two days of bashing the government for taking the wrong road? Today, I will praise the Chancellor for at least trying to do the right thing for business. But as more and more companies prepare to let their employees go, I want to hear from you as well. How will this Treasury's new package help you? Will it be too little too late? Uh, Should the government still be looking at different ways of keeping the economy going rather than shutting it down. 0344 499 1000. Today is also the day when the government launches the NHS coronavirus contact tracing apps and we'll be finding out how that works and what it means for the hospitality business. Matt Hancock says that everyone who downloads it will be making the country safer. But will enough people download it and will it stop people actually going out if they do? We'll be asking security expert Will Geddes. One of the questions I'll put to him is that you shouldn't really be running into anybody who's got coronavirus, surely, because after all, they're supposed to be isolating at the risk of not being fined 10,000 quid. 0344 499 1000. We're later joined by impressionist Lewis McLeod for his take on the week. We can't just rely on Harry and Meghan for comedy value on this show, especially now that they appear to have upset the leader of the free world. Only Harry and Meghan could manage to upset Donald Trump. I mean, for heaven's sake. Author and commentator Helen Dale is also on with us with news from that draconian lockdown in Australia. And she's going to be explaining why people pretend they support the restrictions in this country when they really don't. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Now, it's been quite a tumultuous week already. Here we are uh, coming towards the final day of the week. Tomorrow, of course, on Friday. Today, uh, we're going to be speaking to a great many people. John Redwood uh, will be joining us later on with his take on what Rishi Sunak has to say. Uh, the Chancellor will be unveiling some more money, which won't be quite as much money as he gave away last time, but it'll be quite a substantial amount of money uh, to try and keep things going. I will still be suggesting to you uh, that the government ought to take this virus slightly less seriously when it comes to locking people away and shutting things down and instead what they should be doing is looking at whether or not the results of all of these tests that are going on are actually being interpreted in the right way. Let's talk to David Wooding, Sun on Sunday's political editor, a man uh, who always spreads calm uh, on troubled waters. David, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How's it going? Good. It's a good day here. It's um, another mad, crazy day in Westminster. Um, Everybody's gearing up for a big statement, uh, but the big problem is not everybody is here because... A lot of people, a lot of MPs will be watching this virtually. So, uh, uh, Yes, it's still quite a weird sort of atmosphere down there, I imagine. Yes. Um, I, I was sitting talking to an MP uh, at a table over a coffee the other day when one of the security men came and separated us. Mm. We were a good uh, couple of metres apart around the table, but we were told it was only one uh, person to each table in the uh, in the coffee room. Oh, really? So, uh, it, it so what's happened to like the one metre well, the one metre plus rule? Has that gone out the uh, window? Yeah. Now? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 there's just they're just very keen to show that they are observing all the full distancing measures in the Mother of Parliament. So yes. uh, I suppose they've got every reason to do that when yes. asking everybody else to do it. I suppose so. But I mean, this is the trouble, isn't it? Because we've now got a sort of country teetering on, on tenterhooks all the time. You're constantly kind of looking around to see who's watching you. You know, I took the tube in today again uh, and there's a lot of police officers standing around at the top of the escalators, you know, looking menacing, obviously looking for people who are not wearing their masks so they can put a fine on them. You know, it's a very odd time to be alive. It is. Um, and, you know, we, we've got a Conservative government here which, uh, which promised a small state and we've now got a bigger state than we would have had a Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> I know, um, I know. Paying people to stay at home. We've nationalised the railways. All the things that we, we dreaded we would have, or the, the, the opponents of, uh, of hard-left Labour uh, ideals obviously thought were, were, would be bad. Well, we've got them from the Conservatives at the moment, obviously because of the pandemic, but nevertheless... Uh, money is being poured out by the bucket load and there's going to be more of that this afternoon. Well, exactly right. I mean, do we know yet precisely what the numbers are likely to be? I mean, there's a lot of talk of this German-style sort of wage subsidy rather than another furlough scheme, which is still coming to an end, as far as I know, at the end of October. Yes, well, the furlough scheme, uh, which guaranteed 80% of your employees' wages up to a cap of uh, £2,500 a month, Mm. that's cost us so far... Forty billion pounds to date. What, what what we hear that Chancellor is thinking of doing is a German uh, short work scheme. Now that means uh, that if you are on a say a thirty-five hour week mm. and the employer b- believes you're, you, he's only got enough work to give you twenty-eight hours a week, um, they, the government will pay the the, the, the missing seven hours. So yeah. he only pays you for what you get. Now the reason for this is quite simple. If if a company employs uh, 50 people, let's say, and they're not all doing a full day's work because there's no not enough work for them. The simplest thing for the employer to do would be to make a dozen people redundant. Mm. That would save them a lot of overheads as well as the salaries and get the the, the job done by the fewer number of people they need. But what the government are actually going to do is to to encourage the the, the employers to keep those people in work. They'll pay the extra money so that, that effectively the company is giving everyone a pay cut to keep 
keep everyone in work. Well, exactly. The question, the question is, you know, at the end of the day, if business collapses, uh, if high street stores close, if businesses go to the wall in the next six months because nobody's coming in and people find other ways of shopping or other ways of doing their business, uh, wh- where's... What's going to be left at the end of this for people? Right. That's the big problem. Well, that's the problem. And, and certainly, as I said yesterday, you know, it's all very well telling pubs that you have to close an hour early at 10 instead of 11. It doesn't really have a massive effect on a pub, but it has a huge effect on a restaurant, which can't now take any bookings post kind of 8 o'clock. Yes, um, it's, it's all very, very difficult for them all. Um, the, 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 the hospitality industry is one of the hardest hit, not just because of the restrictions. Of course, they can have a few people in, um, but but because of uh, people are a little bit scared of going out, so mm. lots of people are not going out to eat, uh, and they really are suffering. And there's talk about a third of pubs going to the wall yeah. at the end of this. I mean, it, it is really alarming. And well, well, it's no, just that, pubs, but, it's jobs, and it's people's well, exactly. livelihoods. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's the hospi- hospitality business is not just about you and I going for a pint. It's about all the people that are employed in it, and all of this, the ancillary workers that then deliver, you know, goods to those places, and all of the people that then work for the, the breweries and everybody else, you know. So if demand goes down, it's got a massive knock-on effect all over the country. But the other thing is, is that today is the launch of this NHS Track and Trace app, right? Now, I'm already hearing from people, anecdotally, um, uh, that gyms are starting to use them. You can't actually get into the gym unless you've downloaded it. If pubs start doing that, people will stop going. If pubs and restaurants tell you you can't come in here unless you've got the Track and Trace app, I guarantee you that there will be people who don't want to download it who won't go in. Well, yeah, people will find it's all too much trouble to go and do anything. People are already saying, you know, oh, I can't be bothered going to shop. I've got to put a mask on. Mm. They don't like it. And that's no trouble, really. But if, if if you haven't got the phone as well, I mean, if the phone, if your phone is more than three years old or something like that, yeah. you, 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 it won't take the app. Yeah, the iPhone, um, anything so, iPhone six and down doesn't work. Yeah. So someone like you, Mike, who walks around with a, one of those brick-sized phones in his pocket, you're fin. <laughs> you've got no chance. If only that were true. You see, I've got the latest <laughs> iPhone 11 Plus, blah, whatever. All singing, all dancing. You know, triple cameras. You know, works on the moon. Works at five decibels. All sorts of things. You never know. But well, the point is, well, you're a good bloke to go for a drink with then, because you've got the app. We well, all your mates. Well, will except go yeah, but the other reason, it. yeah, but the other reason, David, is that then people will say, well, hang on a minute, I don't want to risk my livelihood if I work, say, for example, in a job where I only get paid uh, for being there and I go to a pub where somebody went about several hours before I was there and who somehow contracted coronavirus and I then have to self-isolate for two weeks is it worth the risk and the answer for most people is no it is yeah of course the government announced uh, at the beginning of the week there have been so many announcements you, you forget them all at the beginning of the week they were announcing um 500 pounds um uh, payment to, to, to but that only if, uh, if you have to self-isolate to encourage People to do it, but that of course only applies to um, to those of us who are on very very low wages mm. uh, or on universal credits. So it's not going to affect a lot of people, and um, uh, there, there will be those who think I'll, I'll just take a chance and go to work. Well, exactly right. Of course, there is a ten thousand pound fine now, of course, for for for, uh, for prolific offenders, or a minimum of a thousand if you do that. So it's not really worth the risk. But that's honest. but that's the point. And so the end result of all of this, and it may well be that this is what the government wants because this is what they have de- determined is the, is the best cause of action, is that people will stop going out. And maybe that's what they do want. Maybe the, the effect, I mean, because some people said to me the other day when Boris announced all these new measures, this is a kind of lockdown in all but name. Yes. Uh, I mean, we, we've got a pretty authoritarian uh, regime on at the moment. And if, if in fact, 
we look back at what happened in March, not that long ago. We we scared the living daylights out of people, and they they, they were all locked in their homes. Mm. And when, of course, the the, the 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 virus was more or less down to negligible figures, mm. uh, we wanted to get everyone back to work. Nobody wanted to go back to work. So we're going to have something similar, I would suspect. We will will force everyone to stay away. There might not even be jobs for them to go back come next March. It would have been a whole year. Uh, and, and, you know, people, there, will, there are two groups of people. There are people who are just uh, rough, ride roughshod over it, don't believe there's any real problem with this virus, and mm. that it's just like another flu, and they, they, they're prepared to take the risks. And they're a little bit gung-ho about it, if anything. And then you get the other lot. A lot of us are in the middle and we're pretty sensible about it. But then you've got the other lot who are just locking themselves away mm. and are terrified to go out. Yeah. And it's those two extreme groups of people who are the problem throughout. One of them is spreading the virus. And the other one, we can't get back to work and they're wrecking the economy. Yeah. So it is a big difficulty for the government on, on this mixed message. And it, by, by its very nature, Mike, it has to be a bit mixed because we want to save the economy and we want to save people from the virus. Yeah. And Boris Johnson, whatever he does, is going to upset one side of this argument. And it's a very difficult uh, tightrope he's walking. Mm. Of course, people say he's, he's, he's not doing enough on one side or the other. Right. I mean, we've talked a lot about the way that the presentation was put together by Messrs Valance um, and Witty. So we won't go back over that. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. you are always the weather vane for me of, of how much the travel business is working because um, you always tell me how many people are on your train when you come in. And you remember you saying at the beginning when you were working and hardly anybody else was, there was no one on the train. Then about sort of two months ago, you told me there was about five other people on the train. What's it like now? Yeah, there are a few more people on the train uh, this morning. I noticed that, Mike. Um, there were, they weren't, it wasn't, every seat wasn't taken up, but there was enough for you to sit in a seat and have nobody next to you. Mm. Um, I had somebody in the, across the aisle from me and somebody on the next row and somebody on the row beyond that. And there were probably, the, the, the carriage was about just over a third, not quite half full. And that, interestingly, there were men um, on the platform, uh, both when I got on the train and when I got off the train, with little counters in their hand who were count, going down the carriages counting people so i don't know what that's all about i wonder whether the the, the railway companies are looking at uh, how many services to put on for the numbers of people mm. who are on and whether they need more carriages or whatever so right. that, that could mean that could either mean cuts in the number of trains running or it could probably mean things are looking up a little bit and they need to put more carriages on yeah and what are you making of of what's going on within the tory party right now because obviously there are plenty of backbench mps uh, who have been making noises about uh, getting better debates going about these conditions and these uh, restrictions that have been put on the economy and on the country um you know led by all sorts of uh, quite quite sort of i would say big beasts of the tory party if you like you know but but it doesn't appear to be making getting much traction. We were told yesterday that Graham Brady's amendment, for example, is unlikely to have any kind of legal um, standing in law, so they're probably not going to bother debating it. Yeah, so there's undoubtedly a lot of concern on the backbenches, um, uh, Mike, from uh, not only senior uh, Conservatives, but those new Tory MPs in the so-called red wall seats. Yes. These are the, 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 the rocky MPs who were elected in December uh, in no-hope seats which have been held by Labour for many, many years. Uh, and they're concerned that jobs will go in those constituencies and, uh, and when they come for re-election, it'll, it'll go straight back to Labour. Of course, we saw from Keir Starmer in his party's virtual conference this week that he is uh, already uh, love-bombing those seats because that's the first thing he needs to do in uh, 2014 if he's to get uh, 
the uh, the Labour Party into power is to win back those formerly safe seats that, that, that were lost under Jeremy Corbyn. So those new MPs are very concerned. They're being quite vocal, but they're not going public at the moment. And they are talking to more senior MPs about what can be done. And Graham Brady, what you hear from Graham Brady, really, he's speaking for a lot of mm. MPs who are very concerned about the, the economy. Because let's not forget, if we, if we wipe this virus out in, by March, we get it down, and then maybe in the summer there's a... a uh, vaccine found and we all go and have the jab and we all feel a bit safer to go about our lives. The, the government has then got two or three years of absolute hell on the economy. Mm. There'll be mass unemployment. You know, remember Labour isn't working when, uh, when James Callaghan was in power or, or the unemployment in Margaret Thatcher. You know, there'll be a row of those proportions over jobs. There will also be the economy tanking, companies going to the wall. I mean, you, you see already you walk down some high streets boarded up shops and uh, you know that's going to be a permanent feature if we're not careful yeah so there's a lot of concern about that and that's that's where the focus will shift and people will have forgotten come 2014 about about the virus if it's being cleared up next year that that will be in the past and it'll be the government that's been handling uh, taking the country through um, bad times economically but then at least the government has been able to find the money to keep things propped up for a while i mean i know that that may not last forever but today uh, should be a good news day for the tories shouldn't it if rishi sunak uh, is saving some more jobs well it is and it's going to leave a load of debt for the future i mean we're talking about two trillion pounds of debt already my my understanding is they'll just park that money and and carry on running the rest of uh, of the country with, with, with what he's got and try to pay off the, whatever original deficit he had. Um, we just have to leave that money there. But he, he's undoubtedly done the right thing. I mean, Labour called for him to, uh, uh, to Rishi Sunak to, to extend the furlough scheme. Now, it looks like he's not going to do that, but he's going to do the next best thing. Um, so uh, it, 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 he's doing the right thing by the country. I mean, and what else could he do? We're being told uh, to stay at home if we can. We're shutting down effectively a lot of the high streets um, a lot of businesses are, are told to curtail their operations i mean you have to pay people if you're instructed and uh, instructed to do that if you're told you can't do your normal life and that means you can't go out and earn money then you can't instruct people to do that without paying them to do it well exactly right it's a very tricky situation all around david thanks very much indeed david woody political editor of the sun on sunday uh giving us the calm view from westminster which is a very weird place at the moment as it is everywhere else in the country mid-morning with mike graham talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio well, you know how it is, don't you? Sometimes you just need a good laugh in life. And who better to provide that laugh than these two? When we vote, our values are put into action and our voices are heard. Your voice is a reminder that you matter because you do and you deserve to be heard. This election, I'm not going to be able to vote here in the US. But many of you may not know that I haven't been able to vote in the UK my entire life. As we approach this November, it's vital that we reject hate speech, misinformation, and online negativity. So as we work to reimagine the world around us, let's challenge ourselves to build communities of compassion. Tonight reminds us of how important it is to watch out for each other, to care for each other, and to inspire each other. We are incredibly proud to join you in this historic moment in time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's build a community of hope. Let's start off with uh, 16 bathrooms, uh, nine bedrooms, 
five uh, car garages and a great big wall to hide behind. Donald Trump, of course, uh, saw through this little mes particular message, which didn't actually tell people to vote for Joe Biden, but came pretty close. Here's what the president says. I'm not a fan of hers. And uh, I would say this, and she probably has heard that, but uh, I wish a lot of luck to Harry, because he's going to need it. <laughs> you're, not, you're not kidding, Mr. President. Let's talk to Charles Ray, former royal editor of The Sun. Charles, this is just fantastic, isn't it? It is. I just sometimes, I mean, I'm not a big Trump fan myself, but there's sometimes uh, he comes out with a few nuggets and that was one of them. That was absolutely spot on. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, you can see the entire world just nodding in agreement, particularly the men of the world who are going, yep, he's certainly going to need it because, you know, they here they were supposedly once again uh, protecting their own privacy um, at the Time 100 um, sort of celebrations, which is about the 100 most influential people in the world, of which they are apparently two. Um, and they just can't help themselves, can they? No, they can't. And, but, the, the, but the point of all this is they, this pair have now raised this game that we're now involved in with them to a, an all-new level and a dangerous level, to the point where, you know, I have not minded them being called the Duke and Duchess of Sussex at all. I couldn't, I couldn't have really cared less. But I now believe that they do not need to have those titles. They need to be stripped of those titles, either voluntarily or the Queen or the government here needs to take them away. And not only that, I agree with some other pundits who say that the Harry and Archie, and uh, Harry through Archie, should give up their rights to succession mm. uh, on the throne. They're never going to reach the throne anyway, but that's right. not the point. Right. Um, I mean, at the moment, they are seen as uh, members of the royal family. And even Buckingham Palace you know, in light of what's happened today, have washed their hands yes. of Harry. Well, I was going to ask you about that, because that was quite unusual, wasn't it, the way that Buckingham Palace responded yesterday? They've, they've, actually, they've actually said he is a non-working uh, member of the royal family, so basically he can say, you know, whatever he wants. Right. Well, he's still a member of the royal family, and he's now interfering in American politics. Right. And let's not forget... <laughs> In the uh, mid-1700s, the Americans fought a, a war to get rid of the monarchy. Yes. And as they don't want uh, uh, these two preaching to Americans how to vote in the November elections. You see, you could make a case out for Megan. Uh, you can make a case out for Megan because she is born in California. She has a right to vote there and everything else, even despite the fact that this is the woman who said that she would never go to America while Trump yes. was president. Right. But Harry is a member of the royal family. You cannot, his birthright, you cannot take that away. And it is clearly being seen by many, many Americans as interference in their election, just as Russia is being accused <laughs> of interfering. Well, do you know what's funny, though? Because one of the things that really helped Trump last time around, four years ago, was the fact that Oprah Winfrey and a whole series of, uh, of other, um, you know, sort of celebrities from Hollywood, I think Gwyneth Paltrow was one as well, uh, started to back Hillary Clinton. And the backlash against these sort of woke multimillionaires who bleed on about how we have to create, you know, communities of hope, you know, well, f you know, create your own community of hope inside your multi-million pound mansion and leave the rest of us alone, thanks. Well... Well, let's not forget the Sussex say they want to build communities of compassion. Yeah. And, well, the rest of the royal family have been doing that for years, but but by not taking sides. Right. You know, they've been out there working hard to try and help people get along with each other mm. without actually saying, you must vote for this, you must vote for that. 
And what's interesting when Harry says, I cannot vote in this election, does that mean he is going to apply for citizenship in America and in four years' time, perhaps, he may be able to vote in an election? Well, I mean, good luck with that because he doesn't know how to vote. He's never voted in his life, as he pointed out. He's never voted here either. He's not allowed well, actually, to. It's not that difficult. You've only got to put an X in there somewhere, haven't you? Yeah, but you know what? You know, he's not he's not the brightest tool in the box, is he? I mean, he might struggle with that, to be honest. But, I mean, you know, but the whole idea of this whole, you know, once again, you know, let's go and invade our own privacy. And here's a picture of her sitting. And everything is so staged. It's what annoys me about it you know it seems to me that everything she does is an act it's all it you know she's playing a role yes it is and i and i and i think we, as we started the conversation trump is quite right harry's going to need all the help that he need he can get with this woman i mean she, she is clearly the one who's pulling the strings and i think the fact that they went on tv and delivered this sort of message has actually shot a great many people, not only back here in the UK, but members of their own family, yeah. who are very, very surprised that particularly Harry has got involved. And it doesn't matter, it's people saying, well, he didn't actually say who to vote for. Well, you don't have to be, you know, the brain of Britain to work out what he's actually saying, you know, in, 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 his, in his mention of uh, um, compassion and everything else. Um, I, I, just, I just can't believe he's done it. I know. Um, I really can't believe I mean, that. just when you think it can't get any worse yeah. for him and for them, they manage to pull one out of the bag. They do, and, and this is one of the great things about this couple. And also, let's not forget that, you know, in, in court this week, the, behind the scenes, mm. there's been a, a bit of argy-bargy going on about whether or not they or she cooperated with the book uh, because the, the Mail on Sunday lawyers, who she's suing or, over publishing a letter... The Mail and Sunday lawyers are saying, well, clearly she has uh, cooperated with the, this finding, finding freedom. Mm. And it's been revealed as well that so far, and they haven't actually got into a court yet, either of them, so far it's going to cost her $1.8 million, and it's right. going to cost the Mail $1.3 million. That's the cost so far. So that's got to be apportioned as to who pays for mm. those. But it's already stacking up to a lot, a lot of money. Exactly. And I mean, they may have an awful lot of money, but yeah, they, they haven't have. they haven't got enough money to sustain her lifestyle or the lifestyle to which she would like to become accustomed. No, I, I, I agree. And they're, clearly they're going to, you know, they've got this Netflix deal, uh, which is going to give them a, you know, a shed load of cash and, and everything else. So, but it's not going to come through as a lump sum. It's mm. going to be paid out in, in, in well, I say dribs and drabs. It's still a lot of money, yeah. a lot more money than most people, uh, you, you know, get. Um, but they just seem to be, there's just something wrong about what they're doing. You know, yeah. um, as you quite rightly said, they wanted, they wanted to escape Britain because peop, nasty people like me and you and everyone else were giving them a hard time in the papers and on the media and everything else, and they wanted to be private. Then they wanted to be self-sufficient in financially. Yes. Uh, and now we've got them sitting, you know, in, their, in, in a bench in front of their eleven million pound mansions with umpteen bloody um, uh, uh, bathrooms and yeah. everything else. And you just think, oh, get a grip. I know. I she mean, probably, I she probably thinks she should have been. She probably thinks she should have been picked as uh, as old Biden's running mate. You know, it's probably yeah, what you, she you thinks. You would have thought so. And and I think the sun summed it up marvelously today. Shut one's gob. Yes, quite, exactly. Well said, Charles. Thank you very much indeed. Charles Ray, former royal editor of The Sun. Megan, let's build communities of compassion. OK, then. You go build yours over there. See you later. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio.
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, time to say a very good morning to Helen Dale, who I believe is up in Scotland. I'm not quite sure which part she's in. Helen, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Yes, I'm I'm up in Edinburgh at the moment on holiday. Very nice, <laughs> too. Very nice part of the world. It's a great city. I'm in um, a hotel room. That's why it doesn't look like my normal... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> what, what, what are you making? What are the streets like? Are there people walking around? Is it a bit like a ghost town? What's it like? No, uh, Edinburgh, because it's a, still got its medieval core and people live in the medieval core, still looks busy and there are still plenty of people moving about and going and, and socialising and so on and so forth. Although I, my Scottish friends are saying that uh, during the, when they would normally have the festival, because all the festivals cancelled, yeah. um, they said that was a very odd experience. Mm. No fireworks at the end of each evening of the tattoo up at the castle, no fringe, no comedians, none of the colourful posters. That there, There's a big park in the centre of Edinburgh called the Meadows mm. and it, it, the hoardings around the sides of it and around, because so, there's flats near it too. This is what I mean. It's got a medieval core and people live in the city. Right. Always had the fringe, beautiful, colourful fringe posters and there were none this year. So it's kind of like the city lost its soul yes. for, for, for the whole of July and August. Mm. Yes, I can imagine that as well. Now, let's talk just before we get yeah. to uh, what the state of our nation is about uh, what's going on uh, in your uh, former land of Australia. The Victorian government currently being sued um, by uh, some people, including a Liberal Party member, cafe owner Michelle uh, Loilo, I think, over the curfew that they've put in place, which goes from 8 a.m. Yes. to 5 uh, 8 p.m. rather to 5 a.m., which I think has now been moved from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. No, it's to 9 p.m. Yeah. now, yes. So, so yeah, this is a, this is quite an interesting development, isn't it? Well, there's a there's an argument, and without getting into the weeds, because it means trying to explain a, an entire different political system to British people. 
there is an argument, and I think a fairly serious one, based on talking to to former colleagues of mine who are ac legal academics and solicitors in in Victoria in Melbourne now, that that, that two of the things that governments have done in Australia, uh, closing state borders and in, the imposition of a curfew other than in wartime, um, are unconstitutional. Mm. Now these matters haven't been settled, uh, and. One of the state borders, this was a, an earlier one, a closing of the West Australian state border, is being challenged and a hearing date has been set down for that in the High Court. I can't quite remember when it is. The High Court is Australia's equivalent of the House of Lords right. or the Supreme Court of the UK or the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the US in Australia. It's the Superior Appellate Court. And it has to deal with constitutional issues like this. Mm. And so... That is one of the two of the issues that are ongoing. And the other thing is that there's a, a legal concept known as public interest immunity. And basically, the, the cut a very long story short, the Victorian government, remember, this is a state government in a federal system. None of this other silly nonsense is happening in the rest of Australia, which is now all completely reopened. And mm. you wouldn't know right. if there was even coronavirus anywhere. So this is just in Victoria. And it shows you. This is the difference between devolution, which we have here, mm. and federalism, like they have in the United States or in Australia, where you can get very, very different styles of government at the state level. Mm. And the, the federal government, the top tier, can't really do very much about it. Like Donald Trump, for example, can't do very much about cities where there isn't a Republican mayor, mm. where there's fires and looting and that kind of thing. And it's for the same reason because of the federal system he can't he's prevented from doing anything constitutionally by the US constitution now in australia this this also applies it's very difficult for scott morrison the prime minister of the whole country to step in and start bullying the victorian government led by dan andrews uh, at the state level because it uh, is destructive of federalism and Australia right. has always had a federal system. And what's Dan but, Andrews, so what, is, what, is, what is Dan Andrews uh, sort of, um, shall we say, reasoning for keeping this lockdown if the rest of the country is not locked down in the same way? What's his, you know, what's his kind of rationale well, for that? Well, there's two things going on. The first thing with the litigation is he's trying to keep the scientific advice used uh, to keep it secret from the court um, or to keep it, not to not disclose it to right. not go through the normal process of discovery and that's known as he's invoked what's known as public interest immunity i'm not quite sure how that's going to go but we'll have to see the course of the litigation uh the rationale for victoria having a lockdown and the rest of the country not uh and it's a very serious lockdown it's what they call you know a stage four lockdown mm. in australia it's kind of like it was back in may here right you know where everything was shut right everything was shut um but it's now, worse in a way, isn't it, though? Because we never actually had a curfew. They never said, you can't go no, out at no, all. No, no, no. No, and no. And there are serious legal arguments that you can't have curfews in other than wartime in a liberal democracy. You can do it in a civilian system, which is why they've had them in places like France and Italy. But even there, it's it's considered quite important draconian mm. and and improper but it's deeply improper in an anglophone country um, or in a commonwealth country that comes out of that anglophone tradition less of an issue in the u.s because their policing system is more french than it is british as mm. we've all seen 
But the rationale in Victoria was that they were getting more coronavirus cases, and they were. It started to, they, they had a couple of really quite serious fiascos. Their, the quarantine system, which worked so very well in the rest of Australia, failed in Victoria, the hotel quarantine system. And it seems to be that the reason it failed is because every other Australian state either used their police force to do it or the Australian Defence Force, the military, mm. to run the hotel quarantine. And it all ran fine. Australia has very high state capacity. If you tell one of its state organs that they have to do a job, this job, and this is how they will do it, they will do it very well. Mm. In Victoria, they didn't do that. They used private security firms. So it was kind of like PFI. So have your mental image, if you're British and listening to this, of all the foul-ups that happened in the NHS and all the foul-ups that happened with various government procurement regimes as a result of PFI. And you'll get a, a sense of the problem in Victoria. Now, yes. it seems to have largely stemmed from that. And that's just a government cock up. And what is causing so much grief for Victorians now is that many of them perceive, and I think rightly, that they're being blamed for coronavirus spreading more rapidly, far yeah. more rapidly than in the rest of the country. Well, apparently the that's, that's, the, that's now the new position of some governments because there was hints from our own government here that it was all our fault that mm. somehow uh, coronavirus is back. Yes. And, I mean, and there is an issue uh, to, to, to be discussed here, and that's why I'm... And you mentioned it at the beginning of your, your introduction of our little chat. Uh, there is a serious issue with people who publicly support the lockdown or um, a form of fairly harsh restrictions, even if it isn't a full lockdown, yeah. and yet at the same time routinely breach it. Now, I started noticing that this was emerging in polling data going back as early as May, uh, that there was a problem with people who talked the talk but didn't walk the walk, right. basically. So you're saying that people will, people will say that they are in support of something without actually doing it? Without actually doing it. And the data has now come out because we've got 78% support, according to YouGov, of the current measures. And whilst there isn't majority support for another full lockdown, I think people are quite possibly really sick of that. Mm. The current measures are pretty extreme. You've got 78% saying that they support them. But at the same time, from another polling company, from Ipsos Murray, we're also seeing around about 40% of people, it varies slightly depending on how you chew the data, uh, around about 40% of people are simultaneously saying they routinely breach COVID-19 restrictions. And so you, I started calling them shy covid idiots. Yes. Because we've had this phenomenon before in Britain, and not just in Britain, but it's very well documented here. Uh, because of the social norm in British culture that you don't go around telling people what their, what your politics are, what your salary is, um, you know, what your religion is. Yeah, you know, Americans are always shocked by this, mm. and whereas British people like to keep that sort of thing to themselves. Right. The cultural norm of not sharing those kind of views often manifests in the form of lying to pollsters. Yeah. Now, this has had a very serious co consequence in e elections 
1992 and then in 2015 and then during the referendum in 2016 and the, the British pollsters coined the expression shy Tories mm. because it overwhelmingly happens on the right of politics although there's a suggestion that there might have been shy socialists in 2017 people were afraid to say that they were going to vote for Labour and Jeremy Corbyn but then in the privacy of the polling station they did not very many of them ballot. <laughs> well in 2017 he did well in 2019 the wheels fell off yes but uh, but it's much commoner for people on the political right or for people who feel in some way that their views are under siege to lie to pollsters and now, this would explain actually, why most of the polls in big elections and including uh, donald trump's victory as well got it so wrong i believe it i i I'll be quite honest. I mean, I'm statistically literate, but I don't fully grasp the American political system. I understand some of it, but I don't understand it fully. Um, not like if you got a, a, a specialist in American politics and law on here, that would be much better than me. But I do think there is a very serious problem, certainly in this country, doesn't happen so much in Australia because of compulsory voting. So you can, you, the problem of people saying they're going to vote and then not going to the polling station doesn't exist in Australia because of the compulsory right. voting. But there is a very serious problem here with people lying to pollsters. And if you think about 78% support the current restrictions, but 40% are also routinely breaking the rules, this literally does not add up. Mm. No, you know, it really doesn't. People, so so it let's just go back. Doesn't add up. Let's just go back to the curfew situation for a minute uh, in Australia, because um, is that case likely to succeed and and what powers could the court impose upon um um the uh, uh, the guy daniels well it's difficult to say uh because at the moment the curfew is being challenged in state courts and um so i'm not quite sure what's going to fall out from there uh the border closures have already progressed mm. to the high court so it depends but if the court rules uh even at the state court level, that you can't have a curfew in peacetime, then he, it will just have to be removed. That's mm. the way constitutional rulings work in a country with a written constitution like Australia. It doesn't have a Bill of Rights like the Americans, but it has other things. Um, if you're found to be in conflict with the constitution, then the constitution wins, and he'll just have to change that. Mm. And if it emerges, um, if it emerges that there was no actual scientific advice of any sort and cooperation wasn't sought with the police because we've now got police coming out and saying, well, nobody told us. And mm. there's all this sort of conflicting information. Um, if it emerges that there is no advice and he literally just did this to make life of the police easier, yeah. then that's enormously embarrassing. Well, it's, this is this is a and then this is why this is why this is why I'm interested because this is what leads us back to what the decision making process was here when it came to, for example, the rule of six. We've already heard that the rule of six was pretty much dreamt up out of the air, and there was no particular yep. scientific backing for six rather than eight or fifteen or twenty-five. Uh, similarly, with the ten p.m. curfew, it doesn't look as though there was any great thought put towards it, and certainly there isn't particularly any scientific evidence that says that that will stop the spread. And I'm my bet is that in two weeks time this government will say oh well it hasn't really worked so we'll have to do something else well and this is a sort of a broader problem i you mentioned earlier just before i started my segment started about people refusing vaccines yeah and well refusing I to, to download that, the I app hate, yeah yeah 
I don't like that. I hate vaccine refusers as well. I think anti-vaxxers have, have led to huge numbers of deaths all over the world. They've slowed the, they're the reason why polio hasn't been eradicated in several countries. Polio should have been eradicated by now. So I am very much in the pro-vaccine camp. However, I am aware of what happens when bad science bursts its banks Policy is made on the back of bad science. Remember all those ad government adverts back in the day that used to tell us not to eat fatty food and it mm. turns out that it's nonsense? You know, fatty food doesn't matter, it's sugar that matters, you know, all of that. Mm. The problem with bad science is that it has a, it's radioactive. And so imagine a glowing mushroom cloud that in the middle of, uh, of it is all this bad science, this glowing mushroom cloud. But there's all this good science out there that also gets vaporized by the bad science because most people cannot tell the difference between a government advisor saying you have to leave the pub at 10 p.m. because science and a government advisor telling you you need to get a coronavirus vaccine because science. Mm. All they see is that science itself and expertise itself is brought into disrepute. By, dodge, by, by politicians basically not understanding what they're doing. So yeah. the politicians do deserve some blame. Well, they do. Also, so they've un they undermine their own yeah. authority, don't they, basically? Authority, yeah. And they undermine the rule of law and mm. all sorts of other... You know, they bring the police into disrepute and all this kind of thing. But you've got a very serious problem now with public science and expertise having been wrecked. And you know this and I know this and we all lived through this when it happened. The same way that economic expertise was wrecked after the global financial crisis and then post the Brexit referendum, the EU referendum. We had the same problem again, economic forecasts and all of the comments that were traditionally made by people like at the Bank of England and so on and so forth were shown to be nonsense, you know, didn't know what they were doing. And now scientists are going through exactly the same thing. This is very, very dangerous. They need to be much, much more cautious about the scientific or economic or social policy implications of what they think is right mm. before you go around and have governments passing legislation on the back of it. Because down the track is a future where people go, well, you got all of that wrong. Why should we listen to yeah. you and go and get a vaccine? Yeah. That's the danger. And I think that's pretty much very exactly dangerous. the point at which we are at, Helen. Thanks very much indeed. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your time in Scotland. We'll talk to you again uh, very soon. If you've got people like Neil Ferguson, who basically hasn't got anything right in the history of his entire career while he's been working on various different situations at Imperial College, why would anybody believe him now? And that is a massive problem. Helen's quite right to point it out. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've just heard from Rishi Sunak. We've just heard from Annalise Dodds. Let's hear now from Sir John Redwood, Conservative MP for Wokingham, uh, former Minister of State uh, for Wales, of course, as well. Uh, Sir John, a very good uh, afternoon to you. What did you make of uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak's um, outpourings today? Well, I'm glad he's recognised the problem and he's making some proposals to help businesses that are going to be struggling over the winter. Uh, it was important that he recognised the feeling uh, that given the continuation of very tough rules, which hit the hospitality, leisure and tourism sectors particularly, uh, they do need some more help. Uh, and I'm quite relaxed about a change in the general terms of the scheme, mm. I think the Chancellor is right that um, we want to help pay 
employees, for people who've got jobs to go back to when there is something like more normal conditions. Um, but we don't want to get in the way of people actually having to change jobs because the business they're, they're working for can no longer continue in anything like the previous shape. So I think he's taken that challenge on. Uh, when we were originally looking at this crisis with, with the first lockdown, I remember suggesting the German scheme as a, an on-the-shelf scheme ready to go. Right. And they came up with this uh, more dramatic furlough scheme, which was fine. So I, I'm quite relaxed about the principles of this scheme. I think we need to look very carefully at the actual numbers in it and make sure it's generous enough because the, the proof of this scheme being correct will be whether we can get many of those jobs to survive the winter Yes, and be there for when more normal times do resume. Because rather sort of depressingly, I suppose, it's, it's also an admission by the government that this will go on now probably until March um, regardless of whatever the measures are that they put in. We've already heard from Boris Johnson that he's not sure that the current restrictions may not uh, actually work. You know, He's not certain that we might not have to put more restrictions on uh, in two weeks' time. Well, that's right. And uh, for the government's critics who say, well, they keep changing their minds. Yes, they do, because the facts keep changing. Mm. And what they're trying to do is pull off this extremely diff- difficult balance between, on the one hand, stopping unreasonable spread of the virus and on the other hand trying to have some conditions that allow reasonable business activity to continue and it is an extremely difficult balance to get right as we've seen Um, and so you you have a period of total lockdown the virus collapses but business is very badly damaged and as soon as you relax to allow business and breathing space the virus goes up again so that's why they change their minds i hope it's not going to be six months i think we we need to find a way of living with the virus and controlling the uh, the worst cases of infection carefully um, that allows more business activity. I, I really don't think we can go on like this indefinitely. It's dreadful for the people trying to run businesses and awful uncertainty overhanging the people who want to be back in their hospitality businesses or their sports businesses or whatever. Mm. Uh, who still are not allowed to. Right. Well, that's the big problem, isn't it? Because an awful lot of the hospitality sector relies upon tourism, either from inside this country or from outside of this country. And tourism has pretty much fallen off a cliff. We were speaking to one of our callers earlier who was in the hotel sector, who's basically taken voluntary redundancy because most hotels have not opened up. And if they have opened up, they're working at a sort of 10% occupancy rate, which is simply unsustainable. Well, indeed. And the social distancing rules uh, mean that they have to limit their capacity anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so productivity collapses. And then if you can't even get demand for the limited number of places you've got, uh, you, you're obviously going to incur extremely large losses. And unless someone else helps you pay the bills, you're going to be firing people and cutting back on your activities, right. aren't you? And does the so, government um, need... So we need to find a better way of living with all this. And that's why we need more breakthroughs on treatments, Uh, on protecting people who are at risk uh, and so forth and controlling infection spread uh, so that we can start relaxing the controls on business activity and normal social life because it's doing us so much damage for everything else. Yes. And, I mean, does the government have to weigh up the difference between supporting people in work and or paying them benefits if they're out of work, i.e., you know, at what point does that Rubicon get crossed, if you like? You know, at what point do they say, well, we'll have to pay for this one way or the other. It might be cheaper to pay in terms of unemployment benefit rather than in terms of supporting a job which is going to end anyway. Yeah, well, I'm glad to say they haven't been looking at it simply in terms of what is the cheapest, because obviously uh, it's often cheaper to 
in the short term to pay the unemployment benefit, but mm. the long-term costs may be very prodigious. Yeah. But you've got to take into account the human costs, which is unacceptable. So, uh, of course, the, the aim is to, to maximise employment and, if necessary, pay a bit more to bring that about. The issue, which the Chancellor's been wrestling with right from the beginning, he's an intelligent man, is how many of these jobs in hospitality will be there when we have full reopening. Uh, because some of these businesses will have lost so much custom mm. and have so much debt and have so many difficulties with their landlords and so forth that maybe they're not going to be around. No, I think that is that is the worry, isn't it? But it's a global problem. It doesn't seem as though we can search across the world and find a solution, does it? No, no, no other country has come up with a happy answer. And various people have run different examples to us before saying, well, they seem to have got it right. And quite a number of those countries now um, are back in difficulties uh, with even worse out mm. outbreaks again, um, even though they had very big and comprehensive lockdowns at a very early stage. Right. I guess uh, one, of the... I think one does need to look at what's going on in Sweden because there they, they didn't go for such a total lockdown and so far um, they don't seem to have the same kind of upsurge in in infections again. Right. That, well, the uh, worry I've got, yeah. John, and I know you've you've um, yeah, sort of uh, raised this as well, is is the accuracy of the testing, um, the accuracy of the data in general, because I think there is a there's a large body uh, of the hall out there where people are saying, look, we have to live with this disease. We know that it's there, but what we really need is a better description of what the risk is, because it's not the same risk we don't think, or many people don't think, as it was in March and April, um, and it may not be as big of a risk as this government is telling us. I've been very critical of the data because I think given that the, the politicians are relying heavily on the medical and scientific advice and the data that drives that, it's absolutely crucial that A, we can all see the data ourselves and B, that we have confidence in it. And I, I don't have confidence in quite a lot of the data. I'm very disturbed by the number of changes in definition of death and the varying approaches to what you put on the death certificate because we rely very heavily on the death figures and I don't think they're consistent mm. and there may be disagreements over the, the difference between dying of CV19 uh, and dying with it Yes, uh, when you have all sorts of other uh, terminal conditions that could have been the cause of your death. It makes it very difficult. And now we have this issue of false positives, as it's called, that uh, if the tests are not completely reliable, given that the percentage that are said to be positive is very small, um, there could be uh, a lot of variation um, when you allow for the unreliability of the tests. Right. And that would be worrying, I think, if this uh, government did not take account of those kind of misgivings that people like yourself have had, other people like Carl Hennigan, um, other doctors that have written to the scientific advisors to say, we don't think you're going down the right road here. Now, I would certainly like um, more of the, the data that persuades them to be, be shared with us in an accessible way, because um, we get the occasional graph from our advisors that they publish. And those graphs, I think, are pretty unsatisfactory. Mm. Uh, and uh, I find the choice of data quite difficult to understand. I mean, one thing that I think is odd is we never get a graph with an accurate R figure. Mm. And yet they say that R, the, the way the virus spreads, is the crucial thing. I can understand that. Why haven't they done more work on getting accurate R figures? And why don't we see regular graphs and plots of them? Uh, we're still given the occasional big range yeah. it's possible R figure. Right. I think and the problem with the R figure policy, is... We need more on that. Yeah. 
The problem with the R figure, of course, is that it's a collection of data which influences a number. And it's not necessarily based on anything that's actually happening. It's based on what estimates are of what's happening. Well, there are several ways that they calculate it. And the way that I would have thought would give you the best chance of getting a more accurate R figure is to take the results of your standardized sample test. Mm. They, they did introduce, uh, with a bit of persuasion from various people, um, having a sort of opinion poll type set of tests on a regular basis, which would be the best way you'd have thought of seeing whether the virus is spreading more quickly or less quickly. Mm. Um, and that surely would be the best way of informing you to calculate this magic figure, which tells you what the spread rate is. Yes. And the spread rate is very crucial in the whole thing. Well, exactly right. Finally, Sir John, um, I suppose the biggest problem that uh, the furlough scheme faced was that there was quite a bit of fraudulent activity around it, some of which was just people taking advantage, other bits of it probably criminal. Um, are you confident that this new method of, of supporting people will not be sort of uh, uh, abused, shall we say, by people who are slightly unscrupulous? I'm afraid there will always be abusers of any public money systems, as we know, um, I don't think this one will be any more prone to abuse than, than any others. Uh, and it's best policed by dealing directly with employers who are already known to the tax authorities because most of them are honest and straightforward and, and the tax authorities will, will know they can trust them. And the, the ones that will be fiddling will be ones who are already fiddling taxes and will maybe the subject of investigation already. Yes, I'm sure that's true. So, John Redwood, thank you very much indeed. Instead of MP for Wokingham, Ron uh, has tweeted me saying, Mike, still no support for contractors on PAYE or people who are self-employed but don't yet have two years' accounts. They've had six months to address this and done nothing. It's a very true story and a very sad story, that. But uh, Rishi Sunak has announced a whole raft of uh, money, around about £300 million per month, basically, that he's going to use to support people uh, who are self-employed, uh, who are employed in... Um, jobs where they're working part-time as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. You might remember last week um, that we introduced the greatest guest that we had ever had uh, here at Talk Radio, not only in the Independent Republic, but just uh, of all time. And it was, of course, uh, President Donald Trump. But it wasn't actually President Donald Trump. It was Lewis McLeod in the guise of President Donald Trump. And Trump, of course, now today uh, has done himself uh, so much good uh, by slagging off Prince Harry and Meghan. Uh, that, that you can't really make any more jokes about it, I don't think. Lewis, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Yeah, good morning, mate. Now, wasn't that yeah. brilliant? Wasn't that typical of Trump? I mean, one of his greatest phrases that, you know, he's going to need a lot of help. You know, yeah, very well. You know, I, you know, to start with, I'm not a great fan of her. You know, you just know he's wanting to go further. I mean, look at her. She's disgraceful. She throws her clothes on with a pitchfork. <laughs> and he's come to the end of his use, the ginger. Unbelievable. You know, I think when she can't climb the stairs because her Manolo Blahniks have impaled her to the staircase, then, you know, you know, there's trouble. Get out of my house. I've had enough. And don't speak. I'll do the talking because she can act. You know, she's got great, ver great verbals. Yes. I mean, presumably, President Trump, you could probably um, uh, eject Prince Harry from your country if you needed to. I think we'll have to rescue him. I think, you know, they've, they've she's turned the house into a compound. You know, he can't get out. <laughs> You've got red hair. Stay here. You're not moving. <laughs> Look, I, th I really just would like to go down to the shops. We don't have shops. You can just hear her. You know, if you live in L.A., California, you need a cab. You know, she won't let him drive or anything. Skateboard, maybe. 
And and luckily he can't vote, obviously, otherwise he'd be voting for Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't vote, and people who know me know that um, <laughs> I've not been able to vote my, my whole life, so I'm relying on Megan. You know, he's completely browbeaten. Shut up, be a good boy. <laughs> maybe he doesn't know how to write either. I mean, maybe we should be told. <laughs> I'll have the pen. Thank you. Now, listen, ever since last week, every time I hear Rishi Sunak's name, uh, I can only hear it in your voice because he, of course, is going to speak today uh, with his winter kind of economy uh, package yeah. for everybody. Um, but but your, your impression of Rishi Sunak is it's just stuck with me. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, it's Rishi, don't blink. It's just, you know, it's get on with it. You know, it's, he's even doing Shakespeare. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious by, by high interest loans, by, by not really doing that much more than we did and trying to convince you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know what he's going to come up with, but who, you know, who knows? I think that I've got a lot of mates of mine um, that are creatives in advertising and there's about 19,000 of them and they're all just wanting a bit of help. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hear it a lot from, you know, they're getting £27 a month and things like that. And so it's, I'm really hoping he, because the, the 57 billion for the arts, it's the drawdown, where does that all get divvied up? Mm. We'd just like to hear some, you know, co- concrete evidence of, of help from him to the, to the self-employed freelancers. And advertising and those kind of creative. Well, a lot of freelance people have been left behind, haven't they? I mean, you know. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, I'm told that you do a pretty good Ian McKellen. Um, (laughs) Well, let's get the Shakespeare right. The arts have, of course, suffered terribly, Mike. But darling, and theatre is where it all began. Words, communication, stories. And I have to say that where is Sir Cameron McIntosh? The man has not stepped out onto the balcony in his robe and made a statement. Andrew Lloyd Webber, to his credit, but that's musicals and I don't go for them so much. But I do want to hear the proprietors of the theatres, the studio managers to make their statements heard because I can't do it for everybody, and believe me, I'm trying, Ducky. (laughs) You could. Maybe Liam Neeson uh, could make a plea on behalf of the Uh, acting fraternity. yeah, that's what you need to know. So I don't know. I don't know what this virus is. I don't know what it wants. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> but I will find it. And I will Somehow. kill it. <laughs> and I will kill it. I will stamp on it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you can, yeah, he's the kind of guy you need to... I think that when we do Rishi Sunak on, on Ringers, he's, they've sort of made him as a kind of sex symbol. Yeah. And it's... it's um. He's, he's, he's certainly got a lot of front, you know. And um, Well, he's one of these guys, it's... it's so rich, right, that nothing actually matters to him because, you know, I mean, I can't say that I know how that feels because I've never been that rich, but, but guys like him who are so wealthy and have never really known anything other than incredible wealth. Well, like, exactly, know. posh confidence. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, how, yeah. I mean, what did you make of Boris this week? Well, I mean, it's, of course, it's the, everybody hanging on every word. It's the speech. And it's they need to do something with the OQ. I just noticed because I'm watching them when they're when they're performing as well. But he's got you know it's very much uh, he's looking in the wrong direction at the moment. He's looking up there. Uh, it might come in the window. I don't know. <laughs> he's just you know again it's we're using words like curfew up here in Scotland because that sounds quite Scott. Curfew. Right. There's a curfew. Get used to it. You know it's it's, it's very direct. And uh, he's just, he's going around. I mean, this is, I mean, he even used the word spiritually. So it's a spiritual thing of, of human communication. And I, I would go even further. I think it's apotheosis. I think it's man, God, you know, it's, 
stay indoors. You never know what'll happen. Mm. I was know, worried. I, I, think, um, I was worried when I heard uh, Boris say a stitch in time state saves, saves nine, nine yeah. like as if it was in some kind of Victorian nursery, you know. And the <laughs> nanny was, you know, the, the nanny was telling you about, you know, the way yeah. the world really works. You know, <laughs> I mean, who says that? I know. It's just before my head was ducked in a hot bowl of Vicks menthol crystals. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know it's, it's, but you acted quite like that. I think maybe Russell Brand should straight start writing for him and get some of that Dickensian patter. Yeah, in there, well, Russell know. Brand made himself uh, onto Plank of the Week this week with me because of his ridiculous tweet about how his dog had been remarked upon by two working-class chaps oh, that he happened that. to walk past. I mean, uh, yeah. what was he thinking? <laughs> I know, it was so charming, you know. Like it's, yeah, it was a... Yeah, I remember of, when I was working class... Main, Nonsense. Now, listen, I I meant to do this last week because when we we were doing, um, you know, Megan and Harry and all that, I actually do Megan, right? Right. Let's let's build uh, communities of compassion. And I don't necessarily sound like her, but it's all in the breathing and the... The shortness of constipated Megan yeah. Markle. Yeah, it is. It's slightly like that. Now, you, I, I keep I, people keep saying, "Can you do me?" And I'm going to give you a few ch- chances to have a go. You don't have to do it now. Um, you can do it next time, right? But you need right. to you need to study me to see if you can do me. But you could also do one of my rivals who's on at the same time, Jeremy Vine. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, today on the program, what we should do is share the airwaves. We should split the screen. We should split the atom. Well, if I was to suggest that we split the atom, first of all, I'd say that the protons and, 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 and the atoms need to join together in the electrons, the Mike Grahams and the Jeremy Vine. Well, I think the whole point is that we are very much trying to sell the same message. We are speaking for and on behalf of the nation during this difficult time except playing prog rock in between the serious chat. Yeah. I'll, I'll start getting to work on your voice, definitely. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll have, a, have a go. Now, the other guy that I saw this week that I hadn't seen for a while was Bill Clinton, because, uh, you know, they've been parading around the Supreme Court uh, because of the unfortunate death of, of one of the judges, and they're gonna, there's a big row brewing about whether Trump is going to try and get one of his right-wingers in before the election. But I just imagine... I saw, I, I saw this image of Bill Clinton in a mask, and I found that quite frightening. Well, I have to hide behind many, many masks, as we all do, from time to time, Mike. But I want you to, I did not cough once. This mask has many, many layers. It's a filtration device, and I breathe purity. Comes from the heart, all from the heart. And what about a message, what about a message to Rishi Sunak um, today about what you need to do from Philip Schofield? And you're not, this is just not, this is just, you've gone through the list. (laughs) Well, Rishi Sunak joins us on the program today alongside the coronavirus. And I'm very grateful for you both to come in. Thank you very much for having us in, Mr. Schofield. Yes. Very good. Well, listen, oh, we're going to yeah. we're going to try and catch up with you every week, uh, Lewis. Because all right, uh, uh, we'll start getting some more voices. What then, we'd eh? like, what we'd like from you is, a, yeah, well, it's just a, you know your take on the week. You know, we've covered most of the uh, most of the action that's been going on. Um, we've we've now got uh, you know a, a, a sort of entire panoply of politicians that you do. Um, we'll just and we'll just build build it up. You never know; you might end up doing a show with us. You never know. Oh, here, wait a minute. This is very exciting, sexy stuff, Mike. Great. As long as there's a rider. 
Of course, of course there will be. Thank you very much indeed. Lewis McLeod, uh, he'll be back with us. He's, of course, on Dead Ringers and uh, he's doing Spitting Image as well, uh, which kicks off very shortly uh, over on television. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.